Welcome to another episode of War Stories. I'm Tom. And I'm Chuck. And uh, we are joined by a returning guest, Chuck. Who do we have with us this week? Uh, we have Austin. Um, Austin is a firefighter. Um, he uh, was on the show before, um, has also written to us, um, and we've answered a couple of his stuff mm-hmm. um, on the air. But because that was due to operational securities, I don't believe we mentioned his name. I am not going to mention what we talked about. Right. Um, we don't want to connect so- the dots. No, 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 no connecting of the dots, but he's been an active listener, an active fan. He's been on before. He's written us. Um, so he's been engaged with us, and that's who we have. Um, now, Austin, somewhere in the uh, United States. you were just saying uh, you almost didn't make it today because you, the, your your county decided to blow up. <laughs> yeah, it, it got kind of crazy about 630. It's currently <laughs> 706 where I'm at, so it's... Yeah, it, it got kind of crazy. I, I rolled back into the house at like six fifty-two. <laughs> so, well, you you were you were in the waiting room when we started the meeting, so that was that was impressive considering, especially when your when your buddy te- what did your buddy text you? Uh, yeah, he he called me and he was like, "Hey, can you go handle that first call while I go handle the second one?" So, <laughs> and what were the calls? Matter of fact, we just got another one. <laughs> Are just gonna have to go? No, no, no. It it would be fine. And what were the calls that you got? We had a lift assist call, unresponsive child, and then we just got a brush fire call. Uh, I'll take the brush fire. (laughs) All day, every day. Right. Absolutely. I mean, better than the deal. It's a toss up between the lift assist and the unresponsive five year old. Um, like obviously the unresponsive five year old sucks, but at least you can do some good. Whereas the lift assists, it's just gross. <laughs> well, I mean, I have been a part of lift assist before where it, you know, a call comes in, just all oh, pick him up and we get there and he starts coding on us as we try to pick him up. So, oh, man, Oof. no, thank you. So, well, welcome back. Why don't you uh, give our listeners a kind of a refresher on uh, how you, uh, how you came to firefighting and, and uh, we can start talking about uh, some of your, some of your other stories. Uh, I actually, I actually became a firefighter because of my wife. Um, one of her friends was a firefighter where I'm at now, and I started hanging out with him. And uh, we had done something down there at the station one day, and he talked me into putting in an application, and um, ended up falling in love with it, and I've never looked back. Nice. Well, I mean, what other job can you? you know, get paid to sleep. Well, I re- remember I am a volunteer, so I actually do have a, a, a quote unquote true. big boy, jo- big boy job. Big boy job. Well, so, you know, what's funny is we we've talked, I've talked about this with many, many uh, cops and I don't know how many firefighters know that this is an inside joke among cops, but uh, among police officers, we joke that firefighting is your other job. <laughs> <laughs> Because they all have separate they like side gigs. Have the full another, gigs. a full time <clears throat> like get like a a like they're all like cabinet makers or like yeah like dr- driveway pavers home or inspectors like home construction inspectors. work like like right. uh, contractors. Here, right. But here's the thing: we're not talking about the young bucks who come on. They're like, man, no. I'm getting screwed. And yeah, you guys are getting screwed. These are the senior dudes who have 10, 15, 20 10, 15 plus years on, on the job. Because they've been able to establish themselves, do their dues, pay their time, and uh, play the game a little bit. And then they are able to uh, get a, a sweet gig where they're actually able to string together their three days, 24-hour shifts, you know, on. And then they get like a week off. And then a week off to remodel somebody's kitchen. Exactly. <laughs> when they come back and do it. Man, so. They got some big, and then they get dirty pay, too. You Out here in, oh. in Southern California, like, they'll get... It's it's not uncommon for them to break two hundred thousand in a year. Yeah, it's that's and that's like for base fire. If you're right. working overtime, especially in the fire seasons, you're getting screwed. You're getting hammered. The okay, black, so that's the other thing: blackouts or whatever. For the, like when uh, they're, they're, let's overtime. talk about how when you get loaned out to 
like a big fire in California. So this maybe maybe it's the firefighters that are behind the the forest problems in California and the wildfire problems in California. <laughs> because let me tell you, when 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 the entire state of California or the entire state of Oregon or the entire state of Washington catches fire, right? And that's mm-hmm. let's let's face it, it happens quite often where you have like two or three major fires going at once during fire season. Mm-hmm. And they name these things, right? You know, the, the, the key fire, the, 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 the Garth Brooks fire, the, you know, they just, they always name them something, right? The Placerville fire. The Placer, that took a lot right. of homes. Well, the, yeah, the, 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 the holiday fire, you know, it's always like named after the town or the Canyon or the someplace yeah, yeah. where it started. Right. Um, they, I know guys and massive amount of respect. One of them we're going to have on, he's my actually, he's my, that brother-in-law he's my stepsister's husband went to the fire academy and he's now a wildland firefighter but you get sent you're out there two three weeks right like at a camp you're away from your family you're at a fire camp you're fighting fire then going back eating sleeping waking up eating going and fighting fire coming back eating sleeping waking up eating going fight fire like it is wash rinse repeat until that fire is under control for weeks at a time. Yeah. And boy, do you get paid? Well, here's the, 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 the down part downside is, and I don't know if Austin knows about I mean, this, but those three or four weeks away from your family. That's the downside. Well, yeah, but the downside is, is that family. <laughs> on their time, on their, on their, when they're not um, uh, like when they're not at the fire, the wildland dudes, mm. they, they well generally doesn't, matter if there's a fire or not during fire season the wildland guys will go and spend three months or two months up at a specific facility and then they'll come back down for a month go back up for a couple months or however long the stretch is because that's their duty assignment but when they come Mm -hmm. back home there is no other work for them to do so that whole two months regardless if there's a fire or not that's what they're getting paid for unless you have a full-time gig which is very Uh, hard to get but so here's what i'm talking about i'm not talking about those guys i'm talking about the guys who have a full-time firefighting gig and then that one of these big fires time. hits in their area <laughs> and they call for mutual aid. And then they're like, oh, well, let me go. And so then it's like their regular pay plus overtime the entire time they're there. Yeah, let's tell my it's, wife about that. Oh, it's bananas. <clears throat> and our di- a- we would we would loan a dispatcher to them. We would oh, really we would we would t- send a dispatcher overtime, a dispatcher dude. She's like, hey, two weeks, I'll take two shit. weeks of just oh wow. awesome. Do you guys have anything <clears throat> like that? No, our our fires or our brush fires are nowhere near that size. I mean, we have I have seen brush fires where there was like on in my county. I live on the west end of the mm-hmm. county. I have seen just about all of the west end fire departments in that on that fire, but I've never seen like something where it was bring the whole county, bring you know, bring the next county, the whole state. Right? Yeah. I've never seen anything like that. Yeah, yeah well, those are yeah. massive. Like when they bring in like 747 jumbo jets modified to freaking dump. Right. The super scoopers from Canada. The super scoopers and the But the, see the, his wildfires are like a day, like maybe a few hours. Right. Our wild one our, our wildfires are weeks that are like a like a week one, like yeah. a little ah, oh, that was that was quick, like that went down is a few days like five days four days and you're like ah, that wasn't that bad I only burn a few thousand acres right and then the really bad ones go on for like a month or a full week or two weeks and then they're in thousands upon thousands upon thousands of acres so austin what's the what's the longest you have worked a fire for uh all not we had a storage unit fire and that was the longest i've ever worked one Ooh, and you've never had to go to a, like a fire camp and work work like multiple days or anything like that. No, sir. Okay, that's that. See, that's like you talk about like the Creek Fire. Uh, you talk like the Dixie Fire. These are some of the largest wildfires in California history. And you're talking about let's see. Um, I'm looking for what acreage. about that one that went through Montana and Idaho and shit. That was like a month of fire. It was like two uh, years ago. I don't. I don't know. Um, dude, it was a it was a long one. It was like a month of full like firefighting. It went through like uh, I want to say like I want to say like Montana, Wyoming, 
like so through I, the mountains where you couldn't get to it. Like if they're just trying to burn it out, like it just yeah, like there was it was so fast and so big and so hot. It it took them like a month or so to get it down. There was the Dixie Fire, but that was in California. No, they, this um, was all out of state. That was nine hundred and sixty-three thousand three hundred and nine acres. I mean, that's a lot. That's a lot. <laughs> they were fighting the fire. Um, let's see, July thirteenth, twenty twenty-one, and that's when it started. And it was hundred percent declared hundred percent contained on October twenty-fifth, twenty twenty-one. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. So that was the, and that's not even the largest one. The largest one was the August complex fire, 1,032,648 acres. It ignited from lightning strikes on August 16th through 17th. And then um, I guess it was four fires that combined that into the main fire and became the single largest wildfire. In, in California's recorded history. And it was, let's see, 100% contained. When does it say? Oh, actually, it's not that long. It was not that long. It was August 16th to November 12th compared to the other one. But that's still, still a long time. A long time. Yeah. <clears throat> Austin, what are yours like? Like if you have like a, a brush fire or something like that, can you guys yeah. contain it pretty quick? Or is it like if you don't contain it with like, in so many minutes or an hour, it's kind of going to just run. It, it depends on where it's at. Um, the Actually, the first call I ever run is a, a truck where I was actually able to drive a truck there. Um, if we would have been like another two minutes, it would have taken off into dead kudzu and we probably would have had to call forestry in. But the longest one that I've ever worked was maybe a couple of hours, if that. Oh, sure. Okay. Dang. So I mean, most, is this like totally foreign to you to, to like, th there's nothing like that in your area. Is it just that the terrain doesn't allow for it and you guys can get things under control easily. Is there not a lot of brush? There's a lot of brush. I mean, um, at the very West end of our County, we've actually had a brush fire where they were there for all, like they were there all day and all night, I believe. So a day or two fighting it. But in my area, if we get paged for a brush fire, it, I mean, it's usually within an hour we're packed up and gone. Wow. wow. You know, like I live in North Carolina for a little bit and uh, <clears throat> right outside the main gate of the base, there was a truck that caught on fire. Right. And in California, you got to get that shit under control real fucking quick, because if you don't, it's going to run wild. It's going to it's going to start catching the hillsides on fire. Next, thing you know, you have a massive wildfire on your hands. Well, I was surprised when they were just like, well, we can hit it with water. We're going to hit it with water, but we're just kind of going to let it burn out. And it was right next to the forest, which was all green. And it just burned. It didn't catch anything on fire. I mean, it scorched the, the trees and fucked the trees up right there. But <clears throat> I was surprised at how long they just let it burn for. Yeah. Because yeah, have, it was just so dense and humid and green and moisture that they could do that because it wasn't going to catch anything on fire. We have the largest active wildfire in the U.S. right now in Idaho. Is, really yeah ninety-five thousand acres the moose fire so what are your most common fires that you get austin uh well i mean you Structure get a lot fires? of mainly it just also depends on the time of the year i mean in the early spring kind of start of summer we'll run a bunch of brush fires um but i would say most of ours usually are structures okay and do you get them, like, are your structures pretty well spread out? Or do you have a lot of like housing tracks where, you know, if a fire rips through the area, it can take out, you know, 10, 20 homes at a time. They're, they're spread out. I mean, we, we have a bunch of, I know in my jurisdiction, we have a bunch of apartment complexes, but we don't, we, everything's kind of spaced out enough. I mean, usually when a call comes in, we, like a structure fire calls comes in, we're, we're there within anywhere from five to 10 minutes and we can usually get everything under control before it gets worse. Mm. So a lot of what you guys are doing then um, besides that is like you said, the medical aids, the, the, the lift assists, the public assists, the, the, those kinds of things. Does that take up 
probably the largest percentage of your time? Oh yeah. I mean, um, I don't know the exact number, but it was three years ago. I believe we mm-hmm. run 600 something calls and 95% of them were medicals. 95% medical. <laughs> Mm-hmm. 90 oh. i can't remember if it was 90 or 95 but i mean it was for 100 medical calls it was like a wreck or a fire or something oh man see i this is why like i i get that firefighter like okay you know yeah you get to paid to sleep but i don't know if i want to deal with 95 percent medical aids i honestly i just don't like dealing with medical stuff i just don't like I do. you uh, I, can do that. I mean it, it sucks don't get me wrong but um since the last time we spoke i've actually went through emt class and oh how was that it, it was rough because uh the way that it worked out class was monday tuesdays and thursdays 5 p.m to 10 p.m mm-hmm. and because of my work schedule i ended up having to work 5 a.m to 5 p.m and when I left work, I'd go straight to class. And Oof. for nine weeks, it, it was it was rough. But at the end of it, um, like I, I told my instructors, like y'all really opened my eyes for medical stuff. Because you know, I just want I just want to be firefighter. I don't want to do like the medicals and everything. And my whole sole purpose of going through EMT was just for the sheer fact of. <laughs> Hey, look! Look at me. I'm a little bit better than the next guy because I've already got my EMT license. And you, because you're trying to get on full time and get paid, obviously. Sir, that that's yeah. the dream. Right, right. Yeah. And in your area, how um, those positions? I'm assuming don't come open very often because it's not there's not a glut of paid positions. It's a lot of volunteer positions. Is that correct? Yeah, I mean the the city closest to me right now. I mean they. They have a higher end thing like every six months or so. Um, it just because there's a lot of people that come in and then they transfer out or they're retiring. And I mean, when people retire or transfer out, that opens spots or people get promoted. So they have to bring in new guys. Right. Well, I good luck on, you know, getting that. Tell, tell me about because I just went I had to go through a recertification for medical stuff and it's one of those things where like i really try not to be myself <laughs> yeah in those contexts because if i am myself i will make a lot of inappropriate comments and laugh and my gallows humor will come out in its uh, fullest form um and usually if you got a pretty good instructor they and they know your background they get it but some of the guys, and I, I think the guy that I took this class from was one of those guys that was going to be very, um, very serious and not not appreciative of the gallows humor. Uh, so, how was yours? How how long was the program? Obviously, you couldn't go like full time every day. You had to go at night, right? When you're off duty and when you're off your day job. So, how long did it take you total? I was on a fast track program, so it took me nine weeks. Um, oh, okay. Nine weeks. We went, see, class didn't actually start till technically six, but you could get down there. They opened the doors at five. So 90% of us were already there at like a little after five just to study and get ready. And I mean, my instructors, they were, they were awesome. I mean, I told them at the very end of the class, like y'all taught this dumb old country boy something. I mean, because they didn't like they were serious, but at the same time, they tried to make it to where you could actually grasp everything. And there was a lot of hands on making sure that you understood everything. Was there a lot of other firefighter, you know, hopelicants, I guess it'd be, you know, not applicants necessarily, but guys that were there trying to uh, uh, better themselves to become firefighters or would was it a lot of career guys what did you guys have it i believe there was we started out with 35 students and by like the second week there was like 26 of us left oh Um, you had that much attrition oh they told us the first like because we went down it was 40 it's 48 minutes from where i live to where that class was 
Okay. So that first night we went down there and was, you know, just, it was basically like just to see who's interested in it. Um, that, I mean, we, he, like they told us that night, you know, we, we only can hold so many people. So, you know, if you're not serious about this, then let somebody else take it. And um, I think out of everybody that was left, there was six of us that were firefighters, but really and truly, I was the only one that was doing it at that moment, just for the sheer fact of trying to go full-time firefighter. So was a lot of the, were a lot of the other firefighters um, like already paid full-time? And so they were, were they volunteers just needed their EMT? Were they? Most of them were just uh, volunteer firefighters. Um, Uh, We have you ever heard of a rescue squad where it's like, instead of having a um, like a private ambulance service or a city ambulance service, the rescue squad handles all the medical stuff for like a town city, whatever. Is it associated with the fire department? No, it's, they are strictly just EMS, but so it's, it's like all a volunteer public ambulance service. Yes. I mean, but I think you do volunteer. get paid. I think you do get paid kind of, kind of, but it's mainly volunteer. You okay. go in and you get, it's just like working for an EMS company. You have assigned shifts, um, you know, 12 hour shifts, 24 hour shifts, whatever you want to work. And th- I mean, you come in and you're you're basically a half paid in like you have all the certifications you're just not working for a private based ems service Mm. and there was a bunch of people from the rescue squad in that class yeah so would you recommend um to volunteer firefighters would you recommend them going through did you feel like you got something out of it Oh, 100%. I mean, if you have the opportunity, I got extremely lucky. Um, EMT classes can be anywhere from $1,000 to $3,000 for books, tuition, uniforms, um, you, you know, drug screen and background checks. Sorry, all- uniforms? Yes. When you're an EMT student because you have to do clinicals, oh. you, have to, you have to actually play the part. You okay. can't roll in there with, you know, a cutoff shirt and blue jeans and boots and be fine. Well, no, I, I thought there might be a dress code, but I, I'm kind of surprised that you have to have like your own. Mm-hmm. And that's the whole time, the full nine weeks. No, you only had to wear the uniforms when you did your clinicals. Oh, okay. well, that's like going into a hospital or whatever and yeah. working in the ER. Yes, sir. Like working on the ambulance and working in the uh, hospital. Cause you okay. had, we had to do 12 hours on the ambulance and, uh, I believe it was 16 hours in the hospital. So what sort of things did you get from EMT school that did? Let's go with this. What sorts of things surprised you that you got from EMT school? Because we're we're doing this because I'm sure there's a lot of people out there that are, we get people all the time asking us, you know, about how do they get into police work? How do they get into firefighting? And, uh, you know, Getting your education is one of the things we always tell people, putting yourself through the academy or or, or getting your cert- certification for first aid, CPR, EMT, you know, all those kinds of things will help. So what what did you what were you surprised by in this? I mean, I, I was surprised. Um, you know, I'd been a firefighter for three or four years. And <laughs> when it comes to medical stuff, I just kind of like threw my hands up, like, you know, they can handle it, you know, uh, screw it. I don't need to worry about it. And, uh, once I went through, went through everything and like, I actually understood why we did things the way we did them. It blew my mind and like, believe it or not, simple stuff. Like, you know, um, I'm trying to think, I can't think, but just, I mean, everything kind of blew my mind. Just to be honest with you. Because I really you know, didn't know anything about medicals. So what were you, what would you do on medicals prior to getting your EMT? <laughs> you want me to tell you the truth? You want me to lie to you? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I would. Mean, I would stand in the corner with a clipboard, writing down information. Perfect. Now, if it was, I mean, if it was, you know, like C, you know, CPR needed to be initiated or something like that, because I did have my CPR. Uh, sure. Start through 
American heart health or whatever it is. Um, and I would do that, but I mean, really and truly I would, I was just trying to buy time until, uh, EMS got there. (laughs) Right. So from your experiences that you've had since, uh, we last spoke, I'm, I'm guessing you've got some more, uh, more stuff you want to share about some of the things you've seen, not just EMT school, but, uh, what, uh, what are some of the, the more recent things that you've, you've had, uh, occur and, and that, uh, that you kind of are experiencing on your journey to becoming full-time? Uh, well, I, uh, not long after I talked to y'all, I broke my right hand. Like literally the week after we recorded the episode, I broke my right hand. Oh, wow. Um, That's nice. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It wasn't our fault. <laughs> oh, no. And then I called, uh, caught COVID. And then when I got back from COVID, I experienced my first flashover oh. in a house fire. Okay. That was wow. that was awesome, but also nerve wracking because I was actually inside the house and they started screaming, get out. And I hadn't made it four steps off the front porch when they uh, when it flashed. Um, and then uh, the story that uh, I want to tell today that it have it that one that one had me messed up for a while. Well, go ahead. Um, on May 8th, which Mother's Day. Um, started out like any other day my wife wanted to go to church so we went to church with her parents and when we got out of church we went to uh, my grandparents and um, I left my pager in the truck and uh, we get like text pages on our phones and I was trying to get like I was honestly I was just I was trying to leave my grandparents and uh, my phone went off and I looked down and it said it just said structure fire and when it comes to like holidays like that, we really, I mean, it's kind of up in the air if you're going to have anybody or not, especially in the volunteer world. I mean, it's, it, it, it can be worse than normal. And, um, we, uh, took off to the station, told my wife I loved her and, um, I let her drive my truck to her parents and I jumped in the tanker and, um, uh, we took off and we were about five minutes away when uh, the guy that set up command for the fire, he went over the radio and he said, all incoming units be advised. Uh, there's two possibly entrapped. I need an interior team as soon as y'all get here. And I went back over the radio and told him that we were, you know, at this point, like three minutes away and, uh, you know, I would be ready to roll because I had all my gear on except for my air pack. So when we pulled up and let me backtrack for just a second, sure. you know, I've been, I've been a firefighter for a while now and you know, you still get, you get butterflies when you, you go into a fire and everything. But that day was the first time that I'd ever looked at my driver. Who's one of my good friends and told him I loved him. Cause you know how you just get that sick feeling in your stomach. Yeah. It's di- like this one's different. Yeah, and I I turned and I looked at him. I said, you know, I love you. If something happens, take care of my family. And uh, we pull up. I check in with command, and he tells me to get with uh, a guy at the front, like at the front of the house. And uh, I walk up to him, and I grew up with him. I know him really well. And uh, we're standing there talking, and the whole front of this house just looks like, I mean, it looked like the pits of hell. And uh, we're, me and Jeremy are, yeah, me and Jeremy are sitting there talking or standing there trying to figure out how we're going to do this. And uh, a guy comes around from the Bravo side of the house, which was to our left, and says, There's a door on the side of the house. We could go in from there. And we, you know, kind of move a purpose down to look at it. And uh, for some reason, and I still replay this in my head. We walk back to the front for some reason, and then we walk back to the side of the house and started to push in. Mm-hmm. And uh, we opened the door, and we're immediately hit with just pure black smoke. It, it was a two-story house. The whole second floor is blazing. Um, and come to find out, there it did have a full basement too. Um, but uh, 
we push in this room and it is, we can't, I mean, I can barely see the reflective on the back of his jacket. And Ooh. how far ahead got, of you is you? I or mean, how he wasn't, far ahead of you is he? He wasn't more than, I mean, he was nothing more than an arm's length. Ooh. And uh, he turns around and yells at me to get, to get a tick because we had a guy at the door who was keeping contact with me while I'm, you know, that way he knows what we're doing and how we're doing it. And um, they hand us a TIG. We turn it on, which a TIG is thermal imaging camera. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I mean, it's just pure black. We can't see nothing. It's, I mean, go figure. It's hotter than hell. Yeah, the TIG's and, like, it's hot. <laughs> yeah, and the screen's just pure black. And we search that room. We start to come out of that room. And when we get to the doorway of the room that we're pushing out of, I know there's a door in front of me. There's something to my left and there is a room to my right and come to find out there was a room on my left doorway. You know, there was a room in front of us and there was a, it turned out to be a bathroom slash like washing, washing and washer and dryer area. Sure. Like a, like a um, laundry room. Yeah. But I mean, it actually had like a tub in it and a toilet and everything. Mm. Well, and against my better judgment, he looked at me or he turned to me because, you know, we're almost face mask to face mask just that way we could see each other. He said, I'm going to search this room real quick. You stay here. And I said, okay. And I'm trying to listen for him. I've got the guy at the door trying to yell at me, trying to keep in contact with us because he's, he's telling us your time's running out. Y'all need to get out. And, um, is it was it the bottle the like the air no the whole second floor the whole second story of that house is pure place and oh, okay. we didn't so it was, know it, yeah okay i mean that you know you never truly know how much time you got till it's over you right, know right. and um <clears throat> he goes in that room and all like i lose contact with him i can't hear him i can't see him and i didn't start panicking but the way I, cause you rely, when you get in a fire like that, you rely on your hearing more than anything. Right. You're, you know, your feeling and your hearing is your best friend. And I'm trying to listen to him. And it, honest to God, it sounded like it was water going downstairs. And so I, in my mind, I guess I automatically went to, what if he just went downstairs? What if he's okay. hurt? So I said, screw it. I'm going in after him and i started to push in the room and of course i'm trying to feel making sure i'm not fixing to go tumble downstairs or something and um, i start to hear him and he says make noise well like i told you i had broke my right hand and it's still kind of iffy so i realized i had to tick in my hand and i just started slamming it on the ground just trying to make noise for him to hear me that way he could come back to me and um he finally gets back to me and I look at him. I said, you know, dude, we got to get out of here. You know, guy at the door saying we need to get out, you know, time's up. Let's go. And that door that was in front of us, when we pushed out of that room, it was too hot when we first come to it. And, you know, usually if a door is hot, don't go in that room. Right. You know, you, that could be subject to flashover backdraft, however you want to look at it. It's an ogre. Yeah, we all learned that is in, in elementary school. Touch the door. If it's hot, don't open it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, well, for some reason, he kind of like sat, sat on his butt and leaned, I guess, trying to take some of the pressure off his air pack. So, you know, trying to take the, the air packs ain't very light. And no, he was, I guess he was just trying to take some weight off his shoulders and, uh, he felt that door and he was like, Hey, it's cooler. We need to push in here real quick. You know, we'll check this room and then we'll get out. Okay. Well, we opened that door and the smoke's starting to clear. So now I'm, you know, I'm starting to kind of get a visual where we are and, you know, what we're dealing with. And, you know, like them big oversized chairs. It's, it's basically like a recliner, but it doesn't recline. It's just massively oversized. And like yeah, like a um a high back chair. Mm-hmm. There was one to our immediate left, and okay. he goes immediate left. Once we once he goes in the room, and I'm at the doorway, 
we're on our hands and knees and he's searching and I'm watch, I'm watching him trying to make sure, you know, he's okay and watching his body movement. And then it, you know, as the smoke starting to clear out of this room, I start to pan to my right, just trying to get a visual of the room. Mm-hmm. And as I'm going to my right, um, like if you pick your arm up, like if you got your arm at your side and you pick it up like a, and make like the drill sergeant hand mm-hmm. and point not straight up, but just to the left of like where your arm comes up. I saw the guy. He was leaned against the wall. And in my head, I thought it was a dummy. Cause you know, we train with, we train with dummies. Right. I mean, you, you know, it didn't really register in my head. And I like, I remember saying to myself, that's weird. Why do they have one of those? Oh, fuck. And <laughs> right. uh, I just remember staring for a, like, I don't know how long I stared or if I stared for very long or whatever it was. But then like, I finally broke it, broke that. I, I don't know how to explain it, but I finally broke the trance, I guess. Uh-huh. And I started looking for Jeremy and Jeremy was sitting on his knees, kind of almost not right in front of the guy but he was kind of like halfway between me and the guy. And I hear Jeremy kind of mutter, mutter, I think we got one. And uh, we push up to him and of course he's gone. And we tried and I guess what really screwed me up there is he looked no different than me and you right now. Right. Just there was a little bit of like, yeah, it was, I mean, he looked no different. I mean, the only difference between me and you right now is he had a little black stuff on his face. Right. And we kind of had to almost pull him, peel him off the wall. Cause I mean, the fire, like the living room, it, it which was melt him to it. Yeah. And, mm. uh, we tried going over the radio like three or four different times. And because of our air packs, they couldn't hear us very well. And, he just turns and looks at me and he says, go tell the guy at the door. We got one. We need more guys. And because we were primary search, if we find a victim, we come out with the victim. We don't go back in. Somebody, right. you know, another team goes in and does a secondary. Right. You baby, that's your victim. You own them. <clears throat> yeah. And we pulled him to the bedroom. We pushed in. Uh, EMS, you know, came and made sure there was no signs of life. And uh, once we come out, uh, command had walked around the back, and he w- he was actually when I first started being a firefighter, he was uh, he was my captain, and now he's assistant chief. Love him to death. He's one of the best firefighters I know, and. Um, he he told he told me and uh, the other guy y'all go to the front of the house grab a line just start spraying into the front of the house because the whole just on the other side of the wall from where we were it was still raging fire and um, I think I think another team went in while I was in the front on the front of the house and I don't know how long I was on the front of the house but I ended up. Uh, command had called. He said he wanted, because we kept getting reports that their the one of their sons was home, and he swears up and down that both of them were together, because it was a husband and a wife. And he said, "I swear, they were together." And you know, I'm kind of almost jumping up and down, screaming, "No, they wasn't," because I looked in that whole. You know, we I. To this day, I still visualize that room. Right. You're going, there's no way anybody else was in there. Yeah. And we, uh, he was like, well, you know, we need to go check again just to make sure. And so four of us packed back up and uh, we went through the front of the house this time because, I mean, it was easier to get to, I guess. And the fire was pretty much knocked out except for what was still burning above our heads that we really couldn't get to. And um, we push in the house, you know, we're, we get inside the house and there's holes in the floor from the fire in the front of this house. So we're having to kind of like tippy toe 
through or over these holes, checking the floor as we're going, just to make sure we don't end up being part of the problem too. Right. And um, we get in the room where we found him and me and the other guy that me and the guy that was in the primary search were telling the other two guys that were with us now where we found him and we're looking and I'm standing in the doorway and all of a sudden we get steamed. And it's not a pleasant experience when you get steamed. No, I can, I can only imagine it's not. I've, I mean, yeah. One, one guy had, uh, somehow or another, his, he, like the back of his neck and his ears were burning really bad. So he just turned and looked at us and he's like, let's just go, let's just go. And, uh, so I let both of them go and I was going to wait on the other, the last guy to go. Cause I'm trying to hold accountability, make sure all my guys are getting out. And, uh, the other, the last guy just kind of motions with his arm just to go. And, um, I get to the front porch area and I turn to look at him. And when I turned to look at him, the whole second floor just collapsed where we were just at. Right. The whole second story of that house fell right where we were just standing. And, and you were, one, and you're just, you were just standing there and you're like, wait a minute. That, yeah, that was literally me. If we would have been there another like 10, 15 seconds, we all, there'd been four firefighter deaths that day. Yeah, no doubt. Wow. And, uh, I mean, that was one of those moments where like you, like, I'm not going to lie. I, uh, I'm a Christian and, you know, I believe in God and everything. And it was one of those moments I took my air pack jacket off and I got a Gatorade and I just kind of looked up to the sky and was like, you know, I understand you. I'm not done. I got you. You know, my time ain't done yet. And, uh, well, I don't know if it was like 10, 15 minutes later, um, command calls all of us, like calls the whole scene, like all personnel to the back backyard. And, uh, he was like, you know, unfortunately there is two victims. We found one. We can't find the other. Um, at this time we're going to break off into teams and we're going to actively search. And, you know, he went through the whole spill of what to do, you find it if you find something that you think could be her whatever right and uh we go uh for some reason they put me right where we found him right where that whole second story had collapsed and all that all the stuff that was on the second story had fell down right where we were mm-hmm. and uh we start searching through it and looking at it now i mean it, it it's kind of funny uh, a wig had fell and you should have heard you if y'all could have been a fly on the wall when you heard all of us say, Oh shit. Cause the way that the wig fell, oh, it geez. honest to God looked like I mean, the only thing you we could see was, was yeah, the only thing we could see was just like bits of blonde hair sticking through rubble. Oh, and geez. like we we all about had heart attacks. And, freak uh, you out. Um we ultimately ended up finding the second victim of what we believe was the staircase to go upstairs. Um, in my head, it still doesn't make sense. If they were last seen together, there's no way that she went through that fire room to get to the stairs. And I, you know, unless I absolutely missed something, there was no connector from the room we found him to where we found her. And, uh, I go back to, once again, I've seen some really bad stuff. I've been a part of some really bad calls. You know, I've seen death. And um, a buddy of mine ended up telling me this a couple of days later. Is it, he, he come up to me and he's like, hey, do you remember freaking out on me? So what do you mean? Because um, I remember a whole lot of detail up until we found him. And then mm-hmm. after him, it was just a blur. Right. And he said that, uh, like my department uses our SCBAs that we use is, uh, MSAs mm-hmm. and we're the only department in this, like this area that as far as I know that use MSAs and he was at the front of the house and he heard them start hollering for an MSA bottle. And, um, he come around and he, I kind of met him like halfway and he said, he started to change my bottle and he said, I just started freaking out on him. 
saying, get this off of me. I'm, I'm effing done. Get this off of me. Get this off of me. And uh, he said, once I got the air pack off, I was fine. But it was right. like something in me had just snapped in that moment. And I was, I was just done. And hmm. uh, I don't remember doing that at all. <laughs> but Did anybody I, else see it besides him? Uh, I'm pretty sure somebody there was, I mean, there was people, he said there was people by, like all around us, but nobody really said anything. Hmm. And uh, hmm. like when we, I know I kind of jumped this part, but when we pulled him out, I was pissed. I was mad. And it wasn't mad that I wasn't mad as in just mad at the world. I was mad at myself because I didn't feel like I did my job. You know, because it, you didn't get him. Yeah. I, you know, I, it, cause that was my first grab. That was my first going in a fire, knowing that there's somebody in there. Right. And I didn't feel like I did my job and that had me torn up for a while. Like it, because I, I'm not a perfectionist, but I want to be the best and I do everything I can to be the best. Mm-hmm. And it had me tore up. Like I come out and like, I was just so ready to throw. Like I, like I ripped my helmet off, started ripping my gloves off. And I was, I mean, there was nobody like the family was all at the front of the house. Cause it's, you know, the, the law enforcement was there and they were keeping them back and everything that way we could do our jobs. Sure. And, um, I mean, like I was, I was cussing myself and like I, I was kind of almost having a, a meltdown on myself because I didn't feel like I did my job. And the guy that was actually sitting at the door that was like, are trying to keep in contact with me while I was inside. He had, um, he pulled me to the side and he was like, look, man, I don't know you, but you did your job. You did it by the book. You need to be proud of that. Like you, you did everything you were supposed to. Right. And, uh, I tell this, I tell this not very lightly. I've been my chief. He's been a, a firefighter for, I know he's gotten a 25 year badge at my department volunteer wise. He's getting ready to retire through the city. I mean, he's been, a. I mean, he was a firefighter before they had air packs. If that tells you anything. Right. Sure. Wow. So you can, uh, you can imagine how old school, old school this guy is. And I've been a firefighter for my chief for like four or five years now. That man has never looked at me and told me he loved me, but that he's proud of me. And that day, he said he got multiple calls telling them that they didn't know who, uh, that I'll just say my department, uh, that Underwood firefighter was, um, but he needed to be proud of me because I did my job. I did it by the books. There was nothing more I could have done. And, uh, I think it meant more to me that day that he told me he was loved me and he's proud of me and that I did a good job. Right. I mean, that, because we had a whole like outcome debriefing and because uh, at first it was just two of guys from my department that had showed up. And uh, once the word got around that, you know, it was a fatality, you know, there's multiple fatalities and stuff like that. My captain ended up coming and he's because he didn't have his gear with him. It was at the station and uh, he ended up coming just to like take over on the tanker. And as soon as he found out that it was me, that was part of the team that found the guy, he started making phone calls saying, Hey, we need to get with him because he's like, he, he knew will, you were going to take it to heart. Yeah. Because I mean, like I will, I don't second guess myself, but I will worry the piss out of you trying to figure out what I could have done better, even on like a simple medical or, you know, a wreck or something, what could I have done better to make myself better? Mm-hmm. And as soon as he found that out, he started making phone calls saying, Hey, we all need to get together because you know how he is. And, uh, it, it was, it was extremely hard for a while. And like I, it took me two and a half months to get back in my gear. Now, what were, aside from like, you're saying that you felt like you had not done your job, 
what were the things that you, aside from that debrief, what were the things that you did that you felt helped you realize? Because like when you're talking about, you know, we all know this, you're talking about um, you sat there and you felt like you stared at this body for what seemed like forever, you know, and you were stunned and you were frozen in time and, and all this other stuff. But we know from experience, right, that that's not that's not necessarily the case because you weren't in there for that long, right? Yeah. Like, like you had to it could have been a few seconds get out, right? It could have been literally just a few seconds. <clears throat> it's called so tunnel vision. The, yeah, exactly. And your brain yeah. is processing information so fast because of the adrenaline and because of the critical incident you're experiencing that time seems to slow down. It's weird. Your thinking speeds up, but time slows down, right? And so you have this sense, and I experienced it. Chuck has experienced it. Like you have this sense that you're you're yelling at yourself, do something, move, get going. What's wrong with you? Blah, 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 blah. And it feels like it's taking forever. And then you get your ass in gear and you do the thing. And then afterwards, even though people tell you, no, dude, it, it, like it was seconds. You're like, no, it was like it felt for it felt like it was forever. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So we know that that happens. Right. We know even though we we understand the mechanism that causes that, it's still difficult to process. So what are the things that you did besides the debrief to help you kind of understand and recognize that? No, you weren't just standing there doing nothing. You weren't derelict in your duty. You weren't. You were, you were, you were doing your job and those things are, are just things that play out in your head. Uh, I talked about it a lot. Um, I talked to my chief because, you know, he had, he has seen a lot of that and he told me some stories and the way that he put it is he said, son, if the only way that anything could have been different is if we had been, our fire department was across the street from that house and we were, we were, notified of the fire as soon as it happened right he said you wouldn't there's nothing in this world you could have done different and um i i don't know i talked about it a lot and i thought about it because in my day job i spent a lot of time by myself and the only thing i really can do is think and like that next day i went to work and i was just all over the place i couldn't get my mind right and like I went to my bosses and I was like, look, I need, you know, I need a day. I need a couple hours just to get my head right. And I'll be back better than ever. Just, I need some time. And unfortunately, because we were so busy, <laughs> I didn't get that time. Right. And I just kind of had to keep working through it and, uh, keep working over time. <laughs> keep on keeping on. <laughs> and, uh, uh, I got I got better about it for a while because I talked to I had talked so much about it, and then uh, that's when I, had, you know, reached out to y'all, and I I want to say I followed y'all's guidance, but at the same time um, I ended up when we had my EMT class party, first time I drank in a long time, and mm-hmm. I got really messed up, and everything kind of just come back and hit me. <laughs> build out <laughs> yeah and i turned a really good night into a really crappy night and but once i got everything off my shoulders i felt better like don't get me wrong i'm still upset about it and you know it's still gonna always be a tearjerker because that's just who i am i mean i care about everybody and yeah that's that's not gonna leave you and it i mean i feel a lot better about it and i mean like uh, two of my good friends, like my best friend, he's in the army. He gave me a challenge coin. And another friend gave me a challenge coin just because they said what I did, you know, what I did and how I did it, you know, that was, that was braver. That was being a firefighter at its fullest. Right. And yeah. like those, those challenge coins, I don't go anywhere without them now. And I'm trying to find somebody that can turn them into vinyl. That way I can put them on my helmet. Sure. And I mean, it, yeah. it will, and then what really had me screwed up is that next night. So Monday night, we got paged to a structure fire again, and it, it turned out to be a hoax, but the original text 
like the original call that come out said that there was a uh, a little child entrapped. And my wife said, I, I rose up like a zombie and I was I was shaking to the point I couldn't even put my clothes on. Right. Because, I mean, it like it like I was that screwed up from it. Well, I mean, but this thing, you know what that is, right? You, you've listened to this show enough to understand when you start to experience post-traumatic stress disorder, you know, those, those invasive thoughts, the things that you can't control, the, the, you know, the, the moments of like, I, I'm starting to have an emotional reaction to something that I can't control because it reminds me of right. something else that I was, I recently went through. Yeah. <clears throat> I think the best thing to do is to get back out there and get back on the yeah. horse, you know, the metaphorical, the get back, get back up on, on the bike or the horse or whatever, because <clears throat> it's, it, it makes it easier to get through those things to know that you can get through them. Cause I had this, something similar happen to me after my, my shooting, I had taken two weeks off and then went back to the field. I actually even go back to the field. They, they made me stay uh, another week and a half inside of the station. So it was almost a month without being in the field. My first day back in the field pursuit, foot pursuit. <clears throat> and then, holding some chick at gunpoint and her reaching towards her, her waistband. And I'm like, I'm about to shoot this chick in the back. Like it's, it's going to happen. If she pulls out a, out a gun, she's getting probably yeah. half of my magazine dumped into yeah. her back because, and I was, my heart was racing for probably the next two hours. And I told my partner, I was like, Hey man, we got to go to the station. We get, we got to go code six, to the station. And I'm not going to leave until I'm done shaking. I was shaking so hard. I could barely eat and I was trying to eat because I knew I needed food. It's been long. I hadn't, hadn't eaten yet. I was like, we need to eat dinner. It's like 10 o'clock at night. Like it was rough. It was really, really rough. And, you know, after that incident, I was able to get back in the field, start, start doing my job and things got a lot easier. And I got to tell you, your mind will play tricks on you in so many different ways um, in that way. And then in things that you, you thought you saw, and you didn't see or things that didn't happen, but you, you for a fact, you're like, I know I saw that. And it can go the opposite way. You're like, I didn't see anybody there. And then all of a sudden I come back and then someone's there. Holy shit. Your brain will play tricks on you. And it's a lot of the times it's tunnel vision or it's an emotional stress response. It's yep. not, it's, it's not tunnel vision, but it's an emotional stress response. And your brain just doesn't know how to process what it's seeing right at that time. And it's not right. that you didn't see it. It's just, it's having a hard time process. And that's just part of the, the you know, the, you're the body, the human brain and the body work in crazy, mysterious ways. So the best thing to do is just get back out there and, and uh, get back on that horse. And I'm sure you have, and you've been back in it and you're probably, you know, it's a lot easier now. Oh yeah. Uh, about a month ago, we had a, we had a house fire and um, it was, it was in our jurisdiction and I was actually two minutes from the station when the call dropped. So I was the first one to the truck for, you know, we were, Really and truly, we were the third personnel on scene, first actual fire truck on scene. And uh, we went, me and another, one of uh, the same guy that I ended, that said I freaked out on him, he pushed in with me and he's on the nozzle and I'm right behind him. And he said, like, we got steamed again. And he said, as soon as he said, like, as soon as we, I, I felt it and I heard him say it burns. I grabbed him by the back of his jacket and started pulling him out saying, we got to go. We got to go. We got to go. Because in my mind at that moment, I instantly went back to that fire and was like, it's time to go. You know, we're not mm -hmm. taking any chances, right. even though there was, I mean, there was a chance that roof could have come in on, on us. Deep down. I just, I knew it wasn't, but it was just like a, like You're an not instant reflex get that close again. Yeah. I mean, right. You know, yeah. I've, I've got a wife, I've got a 17 month old at, you know, at the house and I, I'm not, the way I was told is you do no good if you're laying there dead. Yeah. Right. And that's, so, that's a normal, that's a normal response. It happens with the cops all the time, especially in shootings. That's why more cops after their first shooting get involved in more is because mm -hmm. they don't wait that extra. They don't give that suspect an opportunity, the time yep. to get up on target. If they have a gun, the moment they start to raise it, they get shot. And yep. where it had been, if someone's first shooting, they might wait until the suspect actually shoots rounds. And yep. I've seen that shit firsthand. Um, <clears throat> and where, you know, officers who were able to shoot didn't shoot. And, you know, it, it's, a, it's kind of a scary thing. And then once you're involved in that again, 
it's a completely different outcome where the officers are like, I'm not giving it that. that I chewed somebody's ass chance. for it. Like, I chewed you know some, I mean? after I'd been in my shooting, I saw somebody that did something that I was like, dude, you're going to get like, I I'm looking at it going, you should never let it get that close. I cannot believe you let like that happen. And I shoot and you know, it can paint a target on your back sometimes because people who haven't been there are like, wow, that guy's fucking crazy. What's wrong with him? But they don't understand. Right. They don't understand. So, Well, Austin, I'm glad you're doing okay. Yeah. And and what you did was a, was the right response. You grab your partner, get him the hell out of there. Yeah. I mean, it, like I said, though, it it took me a long time. And the only, the only reason that I actually got back into my gear when I did is uh, my profile picture right there that was at a, a training event and that was the first time i had put my gear back on since that fire well, and good wow. for you especially if this is something you want to do professionally this ain't gonna be you know this may have been your first time but it ain't gonna be your last time that's exactly what i was told too you know it it ain't easy but you got to keep going yeah you got to rip do. the band-aid off at some point you had your band-aid ripped off pretty hard so, yeah. <laughs> well, uh, I know we always give our, our guests a chance to dedicate their episode to somebody, but my understanding is that uh, Chuck has her dedication this week. Is that correct, Chuck? Yes, I do. <clears throat> so this goes out to police officer uh, Sierra Burton. Um, Sierra Burton uh, succumbed to a gunshot wound sustained while conducting a traffic stop, stop on August 10th, 2022. Other officers had requested her assistance to stop a a moped being driven by a narcotic suspect in the 200 block of North 12th street. Officer Burton had deployed her canine partner, Brev, who indicated on the presence of narcotics on the moped. As officer, as officers began to search the vehicle, the man pulled out a concealed handgun and opened fire, striking officer Burton in the head. The man was shot and wounded by other officers before he fled on foot. He was taken into custody following a brief foot pursuit. Officer Burton was flown to, Miami Valley Hospital, where she remained on life support until September 1st. She was taken to a hospice facility on September 3rd and succumbed to her wounds on September 18th, 2022. Officer Burton had served with the uh, Richmond Police Department for four years. She is survived by her fiance, mother, and stepmother. Officer Burton was shot nine days before her scheduled wedding date to her fiance. She was 28 years old. She had a four-year tour. And... um, was taken out by a senseless uh, asshole, senseless narcotic suspect for dope. Well, rest easy, sister. <laughs> we got it from here, and uh, there have been too many. I posted them. I posted one. I, I've kind of taken a step back from posting a lot of these on our social media because it's just uh, our social mm-hmm. media will be filled with nothing but officer, firefighter, veteran, suicide, firefighter, killed in line of duty. Uh, Police, especially police officers it's open season right now so you know what this reminds me of what um back in uh in 2015 when it was open season on cops yeah back when uh obama was in office and there were officers being followed home being yeah. taken out in their house yeah. ambushed inside their own residence outside of their homes getting into their vehicles yeah. it this yeah. reminds me of a lot of that time and how like sketchy it was to be a cop and how it's just getting worse and it sucks. Something needs to change. Yeah, for sure. Well, Austin, thanks for coming back on and sharing that. I, I, that was, it sounds like shortly after your first appearance on our show. Yeah, it, it, it was, it wasn't very long after we had a, over my area, we had a massive black cloud for a, a, a long time and luckily it's been lifted well well give your give your family our best and we're glad you're there for them and we're glad you weren't uh in the house when it collapsed but uh we're also more glad that um your your mental health survived not just your physical health because let's face it right. you could you could be you could have been lost in the fire right you could have been in there when it collapsed and had been lost physically but almost as bad, if not worse, in some cases, is when you make it out having undergone something like that and you can't get through it. And although your family still has you physically, they lose you emotionally and 
spiritually and mentally. So we're glad you're doing all right. Yeah, that's what my wife says. She she's so scared of the day that we actually have to run one with a kid because she knows I'll I won't I won't be able to handle that. Well, I I think if if let's put it this way, just rely on rely on your family, rely on your your firefighter friends and family, rely on your wife and parents family, rely on your faith and uh, rely on your training. And it's going to suck. All those, they're, they're going to suck. I mean, just, it, it's just dealing with kids is never easy. Dealing with death is never easy. Dealing with, and, and for firefighters, even more so, because a lot of the people you come in contact with, for cops, sometimes we're lucky because so many of them are shitheads. Right. <laughs> there's there's a, there's a degree of, of disconnect that we can say, well, you know, he was a shithead. He kind of got what was coming to him for doing something stupid. Right. But uh, and it, you know, innocence being lost with a lot always of innocent difficult. victims. Yeah, innocence is very difficult. So. <clears throat> yeah, and just know that everybody has a limit. Yep. Everyone's cup, it it doesn't fill at the same rate. Yep. And then once it gets to the top and it's full, um, you have to find a way to bring that cup back down to yeah. reasonable levels so it doesn't overflow. Once it starts to overflow, you have to be able to recognize it. But everybody is different. And everybody has a different cup size, and uh, everybody you know, is just has to learn. Everyone has a different way of dealing with it, but knowing when it happens is very important and how to get that cup from overfilling and to bring uh-huh. it back down. It's, and the it's cup all... has to be emptied. Otherwise you're just going to take it home and it's going to spill all over your family. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, my wife said that she was as shitty as it sounds, she doesn't mean it bad, but she was like, I'm kind of glad it happened because you needed a break. You need it. Well, Cause I, yeah. I did take, a, I did take a pretty, major step back for a while because i was just trying to get my head back on right and that's when you reassess and decide is this do you want to step back into it and if you do then you do and you you go with your eyes open and now you understand you've been through a tough incident you know what it takes to get through it again and you will be that much more prepared next time Mm -hmm. so well thank you austin and uh chuck you have a you have something to take us out, I know. Yeah. Thank you all for listening today. If you like today's podcast, please follow us on our Instagram at war underscore stories underscore official and our Facebook at war stories podcast. If you already follow us, share our posts and our info. You can also go to the link in our bio on Instagram and Facebook to reach all of our socials, our media, and our website. <clears throat> our podcast is on all major podcast streaming platforms as well as on YouTube. If you want to support us, please go to our website at www.warstoriesofficial.com and grab some gear. We have uh, the shirts just finalizing the logo on the back, and they should uh, with the tank tops, and they should they'll be they'll be at a at a, at a good price too because we know it's getting a little bit chillier, but they're going to be pretty cool, and um, they're almost done. So, and then they're going to yep. be on the way. So. And if you guys like them, we'll just turn <clears throat> them into shirts. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. And so that that'll be really quick too because everything's all ironed out. And if you want to be featured on our show or think you have a story or want to share your story, please go to booking.warstories at gmail.com. Again, that is booking.warstories at gmail.com and send me your story and I can get you booked. We are looking for law enforcement, corrections officers, dispatchers, firefighters, medics, and veterans. If you have a friend who you think would be a great fit, let them know about us and give them our booking email. Again, thank you for the support. Stay safe. Yep. And until our next episode, come home with your shield or on.